Welcome to Civics and Coffee. My name is Alicia and I am a self-professed history nerd. Each week, I'm going to chat about a topic on U.S. history and give you both the highlights and occasionally break down some of the complexities in history and share stories you may not remember learning in high school, all in the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. everyone. Welcome back. Last week, I started part one on the history of the first man on the moon by giving you the origins of NASA, how and why America got into the space race, and did an overview of the two projects that made Apollo possible, Mercury and Gemini. This week, I'm getting down to the nitty gritty, so to speak. The moon landing was the most expensive American endeavor to date, surpassing the cost of the Manhattan Project, and was one of the most iconic moments in history with the United States officially winning the space race against the Soviets. But who was on the Apollo 11 crew? What was training like? And just how smooth did the mission go? Grab your cup of coffee, peeps. Let's do this. The Apollo 11 crew was announced on January 9, 1969. Neil Armstrong, Edwin Buzz Aldrin Jr., and Mike Collins would be the three-man team selected to make history. Armstrong would serve as commander... Aldrin as lunar module pilot, controlling the spacecraft that would separate from the main command module and actually land on the moon, and Mike Collins would serve as the command module pilot and be the one left behind to orbit the moon while Aldrin and Armstrong made lunar contact. So, just who were these guys? Neil Armstrong, born in Ohio in 1930, began his flying career serving in the Korean War, where he flew jet fighters. After his service, Armstrong attended Purdue University and obtained a degree in aeronautical engineering. Prior to his acceptance at NASA, Armstrong served as a test pilot for NACA. Originally interested in applying for the NASA program at its inception, Armstrong was initially not eligible since he was only a civilian test pilot, not military. Once NASA opened up its qualifications to civilians in 1962, Armstrong made the cut and would fly his first space mission with Gemini 8. After serving as a backup to the Apollo 8 mission, Armstrong was selected as commander for Apollo 11 and would be the first man to set foot on the moon, much to the chagrin of his colleague and lunar module pilot, Buzz Aldrin. Edwin Aldrin, known more commonly as Buzz, was born in New Jersey in 1930. Graduating third in his class at West Point with a degree in mechanical engineering, Aldrin would also go on to serve in the Korean War and would successfully fly 66 combat missions. After the war, Aldrin attended MIT and earned a Doctor of Science in Aeronautics. Given the nickname Dr. Rendezvous because of his doctoral thesis, Aldrin would join NASA in 1963 and would fly in Gemini 12. Aldrin would be the first astronaut with a doctorate degree. Finally, Michael Collins joined NASA with Buzz in 1963 and carried a degree from the United States Military Academy. His military service also included the U.S. Air Force, where he was accepted into their experimental test pilot school at Edwards Air Force Base. Collins' first venture into space would be on board Gemini 10. So, all three men had dazzling credentials and the experience and temperament needed to ensure Apollo 11 success. They would be forced to train together non-stop, spending upwards of 16 hours a day on different simulations and practice runs of the various steps in the lunar mission protocol. However, unlike many of their predecessors, the crew of Apollo 11 were not very close. If they were not required to be in each other's presence, they were not, 
often choosing to spend time alone or, when possible, with their families. This lack of camaraderie does not appear to have impacted the mission. Though they were not friendly outside of work, during mission prep, they were professional and even-tempered. When the crew was announced in January, NASA also announced the Apollo 11 mission was scheduled for a July launch. That meant the crew had just under six months to finalize their preparation and be ready to go. This also meant extensive training. For the months leading up to the launch, the astronauts would be spending 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week, working on simulations inside replicas of the various modules they would be using. Aldrin and Armstrong, for example, would spend a number of hours just practicing the docking maneuver in a command service module hung from cables in a large hangar. And while the team of Apollo 11 practiced and prepped, Apollo 10 geared up for what would be a dress rehearsal of sorts for Apollo 11. The team on board Apollo 10 would be conducting the exact same mission as 11, except they would not land on the moon's surface. There were a lot of unknowns with exploring space, including a fear over lunar bacteria brought back to Earth and causing deadly reactions. This concern led to a requirement that the astronauts be monitored in isolation for 21 days upon their return to ensure no negative effects. To guarantee peak physical fitness, each astronaut had to quarantine ahead of the launch. Quarantine. Now there's a phrase we're sick of hearing, right? On July 5th, a media day scheduled ahead of the launch, the astronauts were led into the press conference all donning masks and remained covered until they were safely placed behind plastic barriers and fans were used to blow germs in the opposite direction. To reduce fatigue, the crew's training was scaled back in the week leading up to their launch date. Instead of the grueling 14-hour days, the astronauts got in a quick 10-hour day of practice and then spent their free time reading and rereading the mission flight plan. Come the morning of July 16, 1969, all three astronauts would make the final preparations for launch. They got up early, ate breakfast, and began getting into their spacesuits. Each member of Apollo 11 was allowed to carry a personal preference kit on board the spacecraft, basically a bag of personal effects and items from friends and family that would now carry the distinction of having been in space. Each astronaut was capped at a half a pound each. The shuttle, located at Kennedy Space Center, was some 320 feet tall requiring two separate elevators to reach the peak. Almost one million visitors descended the small Florida town to be on site for the historic occasion. Hotel rooms were sold out for over 50 miles. Almost 3,500 American reporters and 800 journalists from 55 countries were ready to watch America make history. During launch preparations, a leak in a valve in the system responsible for replenishing liquid hydrogen needed for the third part of the flight was discovered, but was quickly remedied by tightening a few bolts. The astronauts must have had some serious faith in that bolt. I think I would be requesting a change of clothes and the quickest exit possible. This is one of many reasons I am not a NASA astronaut. For NASA, every mission was peppered with a series of go or no-go decisions. These acted as checks to ensure all systems were operational and performing as expected in order to ensure the safety of the mission. Finally, at 9.32 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, with all systems go, Apollo 11 launched into orbit. Straddling the Saturn V heavy lift vehicle rocket, the largest and most powerful rocket ever built, the team on board Apollo 11 slowly made their way towards the moon. And here is where there is a lot of science talk, folks. I will admit, 
I did not do well in science, and so I am a lay person when it comes to truly understanding all of this. But for the science gurus out there, here we go. In order to break through the Earth's orbital gravity, NASA needed a rocket that was infinitely stronger than those used for Mercury. Saturn V answered the call, able to provide 7.6 million pounds of thrust that would propel the Apollo 11 to a velocity of 25,000 miles per hour, enough to get outside of Earth's gravitational pull. The Saturn V had to be able to lift the spacecraft, weighing in at 6.5 million pounds. Filled with almost a million gallons of kerosene, liquid hydrogen, and liquid oxygen, the rocket was basically a flying firework. Any wrong move, and it could explode. Unable to take a direct path, the Saturn V rocket had to orbit the Earth before propelling the crew towards the moon, using the Earth's gravity as a sort of slingshot to help propel them into space and on their flight path towards the moon. Once in orbit, the space shuttle had to rearrange its three modules— the Command, known as Columbia, the Lunar, known as Eagle, and the Service Module, where all the support systems were located. This module shuffle was required in order to ensure the vessels were in the correct order for lunar landing. This included doing a very delicate 180-degree turn in the middle of space. And of course, as with everything related to space travel, there could be no mistakes, no errors, otherwise the mission would be in serious jeopardy. You guys... That is just way too much pressure. I think I would have had bubble guts throughout the entire flight. Luckily for us and the astronauts, they performed their part beautifully and were able to situate themselves according to the flight plan and then separated from the Saturn V rocket that got them into orbit. And just like they did as they left Earth's orbit, the astronauts looped around the moon in order to get into the proper gravitational pull. On the module's second pass, Armstrong and Aldrin departed the main shuttle and buckled into the lunar module, Eagle, to prepare for detachment and landing on the moon. And here is where things got real dicey. Up to this point, NASA had gone through dress rehearsals and knew what to expect, assuming all things went according to plan. But the moon landing? Well, there was just no telling what would happen once Armstrong and Aldrin made their descent. Considered the most dangerous part of the mission— Armstrong navigated the lunar module in a powered descent toward the moon's surface, a process that took about two hours. As they got closer, a series of system alarms started going off, alert 1202. And as if things weren't already tense, the command in Houston now had to scurry and figure out whether this was an alert that would necessitate an abort call. Alert 1202 was a warning of the onboard computer reaching maximum capacity and being overloaded. Luckily, the computer was designed to shut down and reset itself and process only the critical tasks, and so Houston advised the astronauts to proceed as planned. In the final moments before landing, Commander Neil Armstrong had to take over manual control to avoid landing in a large crater, landing with just 30 seconds of fuel to spare. Securely on the surface, Armstrong let mission control in Houston breathe again, confirming via radio, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Now that they had succeeded in landing their ship, the astronauts had to prepare for lunar exploration. Six hours and 39 minutes after landing, July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong would become the first human to walk on the surface of the moon. Though they landed the module on its surface, the astronauts were not entirely sure what would be waiting for them as they stepped outside. And so Armstrong made his way slowly down the ladder and tested one foot, then the other, 
before letting go of the safety of his ship. Successfully walking, well, bouncing on the surface, Armstrong had perhaps the most infamous line ever spoken. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. An estimated 650 million people, or about 20% of the world's population at the time, tuned in to watch Armstrong and Aldrin spacewalk. Armed with backpacks to provide life support, the astronauts had a four-hour window to complete their experiments, plant the American flag and a plaque, and get back to the module. So, what exactly did Armstrong and Aldrin leave on the moon's surface? We have all seen pictures of the flag, but they also left a plaque that said, quote, here, men from planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969 A.D. We came in peace for all mankind, end quote. Also left behind, an Apollo 1 mission patch in honor of the lost crew and medals commemorating lost Soviet cosmonauts. Successfully completing their mission, the two trailblazers returned to the lunar module for some rest and to prepare for the return home. Again, Timing had to be in perfect alignment so that Eagle could dock up again with the main module, Columbia. This was another point of worry for NASA and the command center at Houston, since this required the single engine on Eagle to ignite, a rare instance where there was no backup plan. Lady Luck was in their favor, and the engine ignited. Aldrin and Armstrong were able to successfully dock with Columbia, becoming one ship once again. After transferring their supplies from Eagle including 48 pounds of moon rocks collected from the lunar surface, the astronauts released the lunar module from the command module and let Eagle float off into space. Preparing for re-entry, the command module had gone on a major diet. Shedding the Saturn V rocket and the lunar module, the Apollo 11 ship was now at 11,000 pounds, down from the 6.5 million it left Earth with. The final piece of the puzzle in order to successfully complete their mission was re-entry. As with everything related to space travel, the re-entry angle had to be precise. Coming in at 24,000 miles per hour, they were a bit of a fireball, and if the angle was too steep, the ship was at risk for exploding and never reaching the sea. And conversely, if their angle was too shallow, they ran the risk of bouncing off the atmosphere and being lost in space. Apollo 11 successfully completed its mission on July 24, 1969, splashing into the Pacific Ocean. Total flight time was clocked at 8 days, 3 hours, 18 minutes, and 35 seconds. Longest flight ever. And at the risk of running a little long in my episode, I have one more pretty cool tidbit to share. At Houston Command, NASA monitored the entire flight on a series of screens throughout the mission. As the astronauts touched down and Apollo 11 was successfully completed, Two screens at Mission Control helped highlight the historical moment the world had just experienced. In the center screen, the text of Kennedy's charge from May 1961, which was, quote, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal, before this decade is out, of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth, end quote. And right next to that screen, the Apollo 11 mission patch with Task Accomplished, July 1969. You guys, I'm seriously tearing up over here. The Apollo program would officially end in 1972, and with that, America's missions of moon exploration by man. All three astronauts from Apollo 11 left NASA shortly after their mission and went on to various careers. 
NASA, of course, continues to this day with several space exploration activities and has had a few setbacks over the years. But those are all for future episodes. Thank you again, Brody, for suggesting such a fascinating topic in U.S. history. It was real fun. If you would like to suggest a topic, let me know. I can be found on Instagram through Civics and Coffee, all one word, on the Facebook at Civics and Coffee, Twitter at CivicsPod, or shoot me an email at civicscoffeepod at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Thank you.